McKinsey and Company analysts Danny Kalmar and John Chartier joined TraceLink's Roddy Martin to talk about the ongoing impact of COVID-19 and the large-scale industry effort to make patient-driven supply chains a reality. That's right now on the Patient-Driven Supply Network podcast. Welcome to the McKinsey team, John and Danny, and thank you for agreeing to have this open fireside chat with us on our Thought Leadership Series. It's obviously very exciting. Uh, you know, what we're doing with the Credo is, uh, in a technology and a vendor agnostic way, is defining a blueprint that makes, I don't want to say common sense, but certainly makes sense for healthcare transformation. And, you know, there's nobody better because of your involvement so deeply in healthcare uh, for to have a perspective from McKinsey. So I'm going to hand it over to you and, uh, and to Danny to introduce yourselves. Thanks so much for having us, Roddy. Uh, my name is John Chartier. I'm an associate partner in McKinsey's Boston office. I'm a leader in our pharmaceutical and medical products practice and do work all along the pharma value chain from uh, pharmacos to biotechs, payers, providers, life science companies. Um, and I think that for me, the part that pops the most out of this, Roddy, in terms of the, the credo is this idea of responsiveness and resiliency and how important that is. I think, you know, in particular, we've all seen this the last several months and will continue to be such a core part of the way that the healthcare industry operates looking ahead. That's a great point. Danny, um, introduce yourself. Right, thank you for having us. Uh, my name is Danny Kalmar. I'm a partner of Digital McKinsey, focusing on transforming companies through digital means. I focus um, my uh, attention on healthcare companies, pharmaceutical companies, um, starting from the more established global firms all the way to the emerging biotechs, spending a lot of time on agile transformations and also looking at next generation, next generation supply chains. Um, we, what we typically find is these transformations not only um, include thinking about new processes and new technologies, but even more so about human capital capabilities that really ensure the, um, the sort of sustaining impact of the sort of power of digital. And so what really strikes me as, a, as appealing in the um, agile supply chain credo is this notion of how agile is centered to basically any sort of transformation that companies are going uh, forward. And to John's point, we've seen it in spades in the last uh, few months in the pandemic where companies that have been investing in agile capabilities before the pandemic were able to react, respond, and recover in a much superior way versus those companies that have been lagging. And so there's really a widening gap between those agile companies and then the ones that are, I would say, laggards. Um, and so that'll be important going forward. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and let me go for the intercept right off the bat, right? So you both raised two very good points. Um, uh, John, your point about, you know, uh, resilience, reliability, responsiveness, right, is not intuitive when you talk about um, transformation of healthcare. The first thing that comes to mind is, you know, well, consumer goods transformed around the shopper. And, and I think you make a very valid point because the, the industry is being asked to make a very fundamental shift from a supply-driven operating model to a patient-driven operating model. And if you can't run the operating model reliably and responsively with, with less inventory and knowing where your inventory is, then you're never going to get to patient-centric. You're just going to waste your time. So 
great point. And I think the, the second point that Danny, that you made, and that is this digital transformation of the operating model and, and anybody who had thought about it more than just it being a project before are the ones that have built the capabilities to get, uh, you know, to really get up and run. Uh, and, and they're really good examples of companies that have done it. This is not pie in the sky. They are companies publicly like Procter & Gamble may not be in healthcare, but they certainly are very resilient, very responsive to, to the dynamics of, of market change. So, so let's start off with this point, because I think that, you know, patient centric definitely comes to mind. I mean, when we, when we started off the, the technology and vendor agnostic perspectives in the credo, we said, you know, what's the most, what's the force that's forcing, that's the why, why change, why now? And it is patient centric. And, and the question to you is, you know, what do you mean by agile and patient centric? And how would you talk to those points? Because I think at leader level, you're asking them to make a really significant leap of faith. So John and Danny, let's hear about, you know, at what, what agile is, because I can't wake up and be agile tomorrow. And second of all, patient centric requires a lot of very different capabilities in the business. Oh, sure. I mean, there's, we covered a lot of ground. I'll say, just say one, maybe a couple or one or two couple of points that will kick us off. So the point number one is around the patient driven supply chain is really understanding what we call the realistic demand. The realistic demand, having that realistic demand and that upfront signal is what is one of the key unlocks to understand the rest of the decision-making throughout the supply chain downstream, right? And, and therefore that requires a fundamental shift in the thinking. Traditionally in supply chain, you know, we used to focus on our four walls. And sometimes it would not even mean the four walls which span across our entire four walls of a, of a certain company. Sometimes that even means breaking it even further into silos within a specific company. Patient-driven supply chain is actually um, fundamentally changes that because we're looking to build uh, transparency across the inventory management, transparency across planning management, right? Across the entire end-to-end uh, uh, value chain, if you will, and that requires us to operate uh, very differently. And um, and obviously, this is a more challenging uh, problem for supply chain leaders. Um, but that's, I think, is the next big unlock. And the leading companies are actually doing it. They're actually able to uh, think about supply chain processes beyond the traditional four walls of a certain company. I love the way that you referred to the uh, the operating practices all the way from the patient back down to the business, because I think that's what a lot of people forget. You know, just yesterday I had a big debate with a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, supply chain benchmarkers about perfect order versus on time and full right, what right yeah. and what's wrong. And there's a great McKinsey article on that. The, the point is not whether it's on time in full or perfect order. It's not what you had planned for that patient, right? And that's where you start. And yes, what makes patient-centric very complicated is that you have these channels that are very different. You have retail pharmacies, dispensers, hospitals, 3PLs, distributors, wholesalers, and the demand looks um, very different. So I love your perspective of realistic demand. 
right? I mean, I, I think that the industry is still suffering from the hangover of a certain company that was fined, you know, over a billion dollars in 2003 because they shared in an email campaign the list of all the patients using their product and the FTC and the FDA just absolutely clobbered them. And the first thing that people say is, well, you know, there's HIPAA and we can't. It's not about individual patient data. It's being realistic about what is the demand when you aggregate it and how can you model it. And I think that's where analytics in your space is actually going to be a very exciting space. So that's a great point. So John, over to you. I think just building on that, that great point, Ronnie, what you were talking about, Danny, I think there, there is a reflection here, which is why being patient driven is so hard. It's that, you know, regardless of how, how much one person or one player in this value chain wants to fix it, it's a team sport. So you can only control it so much. So the, the idea of, needing to work together to get to a point where we have the level of transparency and the ability to get something to a patient in the quickest way possible becomes really important. And I think there is something that's really, uh, we can get quite a bit of optimism from over the last several months as we are seeing some cases of collaboration like this across supply chains for the, for the better good of society, for the better good of an industry. Um, and you know, one of the examples here is this whole idea of uh, COVID response of nerve centers which I think is fascinating. So a lot of companies have stood these up for supply chain reasons and otherwise. But the fascinating thing is they were able to translate what had for a long time for companies in healthcare been an aspiration to reality. So being able to create a better view of transparency, being able to make decisions in a quicker way, being able to, to uh, drive collaboration between other, other uh, stakeholders across the value chain and doing it in a way that drives an overall positive outcome for more than just those organizations, but for the patient at the end of the day. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, I would hope that we also take forward and, and use this as a way to leverage what we have been able to take from this environment to something that helps drive greater good over the course of the sort of long-term future of healthcare. And, and, you know, to go back to your point of resilience and reliability, uh, I think you probably saw the Logi Pharma panel, which is public domain with Paul McKenzie, the CIO of CSL Bearing, who said, you know, I sit in these reliability meetings where they do exactly, it's like a nerve center. Yeah. And, and he, he gave such a simple explanation to what this reliability meeting is all about. He said, I'm there looking for smoke signals. Is there a little wisp of smoke? Is there a, a, a whole puff of smoke or is there a fire burning? Because I got to care about the downstream patients and the, the demand system but I also have an, un, you know, an unpredictable supply system. And so the only way that I can manage the multiple you know, muscles in my business is by having upstream and downstream visibility and driving and flexing all of these muscles to get agility across the business. So, I mean, it's a, it's a great point. And if you, you know, no matter how good your patient demand, demand forecast accuracy is, if you're unreliable in your supply system and you've got all of these disruptive events like quality, like suppliers that break down, like, you know, a logistics provider that doesn't deliver to plan, then the whole system breaks down. You know, that's the, the point of, uh, Danny, and I think you made this, and that is, it's like Amazon Prime. 
you know, if I place an order for a piece of equipment, um, it immediately goes to all the parties who are going to help me fulfill my order. If we were a long string of sequential actions and transactions, the minute one person falls down in that chain, the whole process stops. Well, guess what? We're now part of one big network. We've just drained the swamp on that because any partner who's not playing reliably as part of the network is going to hold the whole network back and it's going to be very visible to all the network players. So, so thank you for that, both, both Danny and John. You know, so imagine you, McKinsey, I always associate with being great. I always say it's like in the mahogany lane of many of these big international companies giving advice to the leadership team. I mean, if you were giving advice to uh, a global pharmaceutical leadership team around, hey, this credo, it's a great idea. Here's here where we think a pragmatic place is to start because this is not an overnight sensation. What, what would your advice be, John, to start off with and then Danny? So I think one of the things, again, building off this point of what we've seen there be a big shift in that's hugely positive is you know, while a year ago, there would not be a CEO in the world who would say that they're not thinking about putting the patient first. I think what we're starting to see is the, the degree to which having a reliable supply chain plays an enormous part in that. And so what I think becomes really important is making sure that the types of conversations we're having about driving reliable supply chains around building relationships that are needed to be able to drive that, that type of collaboration you're talking about, Roddy, when you talk about the Amazon Prime type uh, 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 ecosystem and making sure that we're able to elevate that to the, the level of having these types of conversations in a, in a truly collaborative and a truly cross-functional way at the highest level of the executives teams. Because at the end of the day, those are the types of conversations that need to happen in order to help um, to help drive resolution of some of the challenges that are facing both both individual companies as well as these challenges and supply chains across the, the whole industry or portions of an industry in a therapeutic area, for example. So for know, me, and, and to, to take that to take the point that you've just made, I think you know balancing the supply and demand in an adaptable end-to-end -end supply chain uh, is a is is a is a real challenge for a lot of organizations because traditionally sales and marketing. Uh, and, and the uh, tech ops or the product supply part of the organization are completely different organizations. In fact, I have an amusing story where I was with the head of tech ops in a, in a big international pharmaceutical company. And I said to him, you know, why don't you work more closely with sales and marketing? And he walked to his window and he said, see that building over there? That is sales and marketing. I'm not even really welcome in that building, right? And, and that is how pharmaceuticals operated in the past. But we can't, if we're going to pivot to patient-centric and patient-demand-driven, that is not the way that we can look in the business. So the, business, the, the industry has a big hangover to get over. And that is just the mental model of thinking from the patient back to supply, not thinking about all the supply you make and stuff, the channel's full of it. And, and, and you know, the chances are good every patient's going to get their product. Danny, what would you add to that? Yeah, I would add um, a couple of things. So, so first, in our discussions with pharmaceuticals or uh, biotechs, board of directors, and CEOs, we are hearing, we are hearing a fundamental um, um, shift towards making this patient-driven supply chain real, 
right? So we've been talking about it for a while, but how do we make it real? Um, over 80% of these executives believe that given the pandemic, there's a large scale change in the industry that they anticipate. And, and what is top of their mind is the need for speed. They need to be able to make quicker, big strategic decisions. They need to have an ability to make and implement those tactical decisions that we talked about uh, around optimization or increasing the metabolic rate of the, of the supply chain decisions. And, 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 and frankly, just as important, they need to be able to redeploy resources where they need in a much faster um, clock speed. And so, and so the, the advice we're giving here, and I think this, what we're hearing resonates very well with um, the industry executives is the first and foremost is around the sort of adapting the agile way of working. Now this is across all the different levels of the organization supply chain and sales and marketing is a great example, but actually there's more and more discussion on how do we go beyond our company walls into the ecosystem. So this collaboration, upstream, downstream collaboration and, and the ability to collaborate in an agile way uh, is something which is top of mind. And then obviously um, we anticipate um, additional investments in technologies and systems, and frankly, some changes in core operating systems of the way these executives run the company to be able to align with a new, a new reality or a new supply chain. And so, and so, you know, maybe going back to the advice, I think from a supply chain capabilities perspective, some things are going to be table stakes, right? So pharmaceutical companies basically are catching up, hopefully, with some of the other industries that are more advanced as far as the supply chain. So looking at demand from multiple lenses, um, pinpointing implications of changes of customer demand, uh, reacting in a seamless way, um, dynamic monitoring of forecasts and readjusting them, advanced statistical forecasting. These are all things that will be table stakes. And then what, so that's what companies are doing now. In addition, what companies are starting to do is really taking it to the next level, which is this patient-driven kind of supply chain approach which does all everything that I mentioned, but also uh, incorporates this um, sharing of information, upstream signal sharing, and, and those sort of um, insights you can only derive by actually collaborating um, in as a multi-tier, as we call it, the multi-tier supply chain between the different industry players. So this is where the puck is going in the industry, Roddy, based on what we're hearing from the, um, the C-suite. You know, my first point would be, so you're saying that simply sending an email to somebody outside your organization saying, well, we've got a, a, a disrupted batch, that's not good enough anymore because, you know, that's the way it's operated in the past. And if that email goes to somebody that's on vacation and it doesn't get addressed for a whole week, well, you know, that just means that there's a, a week's worth of, of, uh, of lag time in, in the system. So, so I agree. I think there are a lot of aspects of the operating, the technology model. Uh, you know, you think about Prime. I mean, they're learning. I, I do a lot of shopping on Prime. And I'm amazed they're getting faster and more in tune to what I do. Literally, when I hit place purchase, 
literally within two minutes, I get your orders being placed and we'll tell you when our stuff's being shipped. So they've already, and they've told me how they're going to send it to me, right? And and I believe that's how we're going to operate the healthcare system in the future. It's going to tell me, you know, this is going to come by a drone because you need it in the next two hours. This is going to come on a truck in the next day because you only need it in a day. And this, you can go and collect it to pharmacy. So I think that segmented approach to fulfillment based on brand new technology uh, capabilities is, uh, is very exciting. So, so as we close off, I mean, I could carry on with you two for a whole day and I'm sure we don't have that, but what, uh, let, let's think of in the context of a quick stop, start and continue, right? Because there are some very clear stops that the industry has to reset itself against. John, any, you and Danny, any stops that jump to mind that you would tell a leadership team to, to focus on? For me, I think the one that comes to mind most immediately is stop thinking about the current environment we're in as being a constraint. Because I think on the flip side of the coin, what we've seen the last couple of months is you can drive an incredible step change in the way in which we operate, an incredible improvement in a very short period of time, given the necessity. So I think in a lot of ways, we should look at this as an opportunity, despite you know, how much all of our lives have changed. You know, as a South African, South Africans tend to think in dramatic terms, you know, when a platform is burning, you jump, right? And that's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah. You can't wait or else you're going to go down with the platform. Danny, what would you say stop? So I agree with John. I'll go a little bit more maybe tactical. Um, stop having your supply chain transformation or roadmap focus on optimizing within your four walls. That's part for the course. Um, rethink the way this is going to be re fundamentally redesigned by, by optimizing your supply chain um, across the different players. And, and that's the sort of biggest unlock we're seeing from a getting to this agile supply chain. It becomes a good start, right? Because by stopping to, you know, from seeing the supply chain in pieces to the patient, if you start by analyzing and building your business from the patient back, which you're going to have to do in cell and gene therapy, otherwise you're simply never going to scale your capabilities for individual patients and patient communities. But I think start by building and analyzing the business and the mental model from the patient back into the supply system and then identify where the gaps are. So this is, um, you know, we're at the end of the, uh, of the 30 minutes. I really want to say thank you very much to John and to Danny to, for making the time. Uh, it's a great privilege to have your perspective on the, um, the Tracelink Thought Leadership Series. Uh, it's going to be posted on the Tra Tracelink website. Uh, and, and I'm sure a lot of people are clamoring to listen to what you hear uh, you have to say, because at the end of the day, you validate uh, a lot of points that people are making, but not substantiating, right? We've just done a great benchmarking study with IDC, which we're going to be releasing this month, where we actually designed the survey around what's disrupting the supply chain and what companies are doing uh, to prevent those disruptions from impacting, you know, patient uh, um, on time in full. So once again, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and an honor to have you. Thanks, both of you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Ronnie.